All right. Thank you so much, April. Thanks to all of you. Once again, I'm glad you're with us. Um, even in the midst of kind of a busy travel summer, um, we are here and I am grateful that uh, for each of your presences today. So um, I'm gonna start with a story and um, just a heads up, we're doing a, something, you know, kind of a little bit more informal today um, in terms of a teaching. So I'll, I'll be doing a conversation um, that I'll kind of kick off and do some teaching work with. And then I'm gonna bring Ginny in to help me as we, um, as we kind of reflect together on this topic. And then we're gonna have um, kind of some practical experiential piece that we work on together. Um, so that's kind of what we're doing today. But I'll start with a story. So it was the summer. Let me actually get my notes prepped here. Do, do, do. Okay. It was the summer of 2017, four years ago. And Haven was going through a bit of a rough patch. A year earlier, things had felt so promising because after a year and a half of meeting in my living room, We'd outgrown the Martins home. We'd launched weekly services in our first rented space on Easter 2016. But just because we were meeting in a public space didn't mean like the greater public knew or cared we were there. Growth was slow. And with weekly services, our volunteers were getting tired quickly. And then came the fall of 2016 and the election of Donald Trump. And in the wake of what felt like a painful shock to many of us, I began preaching more directly about issues of injustice, trying to reckon with the heritage we carried in us as, as a young church who at that point had much of its roots in white evangelicalism, a body of people who had just voted overwhelmingly for the new president. And honestly, not everyone felt comfortable hearing those messages. It, it felt pretty challenging, too challenging for some who stopped attending. Others who loved and appreciated the direction of our fledgling community had to leave simply because life took them somewhere else. They had to relocate to other cities for work or for school. So by the summer of 2017, we were struggling. Those who had stayed were passionate about this project but tired and kind of discouraged. We really needed some fresh vision around what we were doing and why. One of the people who had come and stayed during 2016 was our friend Ginny. And as I got to know her, I came to understand that she possessed a real gift for discernment through prayer, for listening to God and helping folks open up to receiving potential words or pictures or direction through the Holy Spirit. So I asked Ginny to lead a summer prayer group that summer of 2017 to help us pray about our Haven vision, which we had just started to name perhaps as the vision to be a safe, diverse, Jesus-centered space and ask God to speak to us about that vision and, and how we were to live into it through pictures, words, other means by God's spirit. And over the course of that summer, there were a number of stirring pictures and encouraging words that seemed to kind of come into our community. A couple of these felt particularly significant and have left a meaningful imprint on Haven's history. I'm just gonna tell you about one. 
it started as Ginny was leading us, um, inviting each of us to kind of be quiet and listen um, internally to kind of imagine, open up our imaginations to kind of what image might come to mind with the possibility that that might be um, an invitation from God. Um, and so we were praying and I felt like in my mind's eye, I saw the picture of a tree. And first I didn't share it with the group because I wasn't really sure if it was actually for the group or if it was just for me. Um, because I've actually had words in the past, kind of word images in the past where it's felt like God was speaking to me about being a tree, being planted by God, being nourished by divine presence. But as we continued to pray, I had a sense that this was something different. And so I began to share it. And it was clear that other people in the space were kind of getting similar imagery. And that as we shared them, we kind of built a mosaic. Um, that kind of helped flesh out a bigger picture that I think we all found encouraging. Because as it became clear, um, as we prayed into this, I was not the only tree in this picture. I was actually just part of a grove of trees. And the grove was alive and it was interconnected. And there were holes in the picture. There were, there were holes where there had been trees that had been uprooted and they had left these gaping holes in the ground. And there were other places where like a tree had just recently been transplanted and it, and it wasn't really clear that it belonged. Um, and then there were these like little saplings taking root. All of this was a part of the bigger picture. And we had this sense as we prayed about it, that this was kind of what we were like being, what, we, what was being formed amongst us in that season. That the grove of trees that didn't really look like they belonged together was actually something organic and alive that was taking place. Connections were happening beneath the surface. Our lives were becoming woven together, just like the root structures in a grove of trees. And that that weaving together testified to divine presence. And that picture, that imagery of being this grove of transplanted different kinds of trees, but growing together and nourishing one another and nourishing the new saplings that were growing up amongst us, that became a very sustaining vision for us through the next year. It gave us a sense of encouragement that was really helpful. We even um, ended up working with that kind of communally at our, at our next Haven retreat as I invited different folks to imagine their own their own tree. What, what was the state of their tree? Where was their tree, you know, kind of wounded and needed some places of healing? Where was their tree really strong? And we each kind of crafted our trees. And then um, through this kind of communal art project brought our various trees together and built a representation of the grove that we felt like we were becoming. It was, it was a really helpful, powerful part of the rebuilding of Haven in that season. Well, I start with this story because last week we started a new teaching series I'm calling Recovering the Sacred. And today uh, our, our conversation is around what I'm calling sacred vision, okay? Sacred vision. Now in this, in this series, we're looking at texts from part of the biblical narrative about how the Jewish community rebuilt after the exile. Remember a year ago, we were talking exile. We were talking about that season when uh, of great trauma 
for the people of God, this, this part of our biblical narrative where, um, where the, the people in Judah are displaced and are taken to Babylon and, and their, their uh, temple was destroyed and their city was ransacked. And yet um, they survived in Babylon and eventually they returned. A, a remnant of their community was able to return and to rebuild. Um, and that is the season we are looking at now, considering how those texts might be a reflection point, might bring some information that could be helpful in our own season of rebuilding. Remember last week, for those of you who, who heard the teaching, I also introduced us to Father Richard Rohr's framework about how spiritual growth can happen. Um, and, and for him, he really believes it happens through a, a kind of a recurring pattern of order to disorder to reorder. That which if we're, if we're blessed to have a season of order that we're brought into where things just kind of work for, for in whatever way, um, we have things are working for us in order and then something challenges the system, right? We start to recognize the ways that it doesn't work and things can fall apart. And then the question is, can we move to reorder, to a place where we can bring some of the best from that season of order, but with the wisdom of going through disorder, with the understanding that all of this is temporal, um, that we move through seasons, that there will be change, that there will be disorder, but there also can be a deeper kind of integrated reordering. That's what we're exploring in this series. That's what we're kind of considering as we look at the recovery from exile. What might be involved in that transition from disorder to reorder? So today, I'm going to kick us off by looking at a few texts that kind of, I hope, might bring some insight to that, okay, about rebuilding. And so where we are in the story now uh, last week, we saw the beginning of the rebuilding, right? They, they were able to kind of lay and fix the foundation of the temple and dedicate that. And there was that ceremony where people were excited and happy and also people were weeping. It was all the things. Um, and so as you continue the story in Ezra, you find that you don't get very far. The people weren't building very long before they faced a lot of opposition and resistance, mostly from their neighbors in the land, their political enemies, um, who were kind of not so excited about these people from Judah returning and rebuilding their community. And so the leader of the Jewish people at this point is a man named Zerubbabel. He's essentially the governor of their people. And he is in charge of the effort. He seems to be, he's leading it, but it seems to stall out. So let's just pick up, uh, we'll just read a bit of this narrative from Ezra, um, starting with Ezra 4, verse 4. Okay. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. And they bribed officials to frustrate their plan throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. So there's like a big long aside here. We're going to skip forward about 20 verses until the kind of the story picks up. But it's basically kind of explaining some of the, um, the ways that the neighbors were, were kind of frustrating their plans. 
So picking up with verse 24, at that time, the work of the God of house of God in Jerusalem stopped and was discontinued until the second year of the reign of King Darius of Persia. What does that mean to us? It means 15 years. That's how long the stall was. Okay, so they're building. They're, they just have laid the foundations. They're starting to do a bit more work and like they hit some major roadblocks and 15 years of roadblocks where pretty much nothing happens. Okay, and now we continue with the narrative. Um, now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Josedek, set out to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and with them were the prophets of God helping them. Okay, so basically we have this sense of like, after 15 years, for some reason, things seem to get going again. And then um, I'll just kind of summarize the next part. Basically, uh, there are, again, the enemies kind of around them um, who are trying to block their progress, um, end up writing to the emperor, who is now Emperor Darius of Persia, um, to basically try to say, hey, those people in Judah are trying to rebuild their temple. And if they do, you know, that maybe they'll, you know, come against you. So you should stop them from doing that. And Darius ends up kind of looking into the situation and he looks into the records from his predecessor, King Cyrus, who was the one who basically sent the, the Jewish people from Babylon back to Jerusalem to rebuild in the first place and says, you know what, actually, this was supposed to happen. They were supposed to rebuild their temple. So I'm for it. And actually, I'm going to pay for it. And he ends up sending all these resources to help them rebuild. Okay. So let's just pick up after it kind of communicates all that in verse, uh, this is Ezra 5, verse 14. So the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, son of Edo, and they finished their building by command of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus, Darius, and King Artaxerxes of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. Okay, so that is kind of the historical narrative um, that we're, we're working with. Okay, and the overall story seems to be that the resistance and challenges that the people were facing as they began to rebuild were so discouraging that the work like stalled out by our Richard Rohr framework, you might say Zerubbabel and the returns, the those returning from exile um, got stuck in disorder, right? They might've really wanted to move into reorder, but they didn't seem to have everything they needed to actually do that. So what changed 15 years in, right? What was the turning point? Well, Ezra seems to point multiple times to the main change of circumstances being this. The prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. It seems that the prophesying was what really was the core turning point, made the real difference. More than any change of circumstances on the ground, 
It was the prophesying that gave people what they needed to persevere through the challenges of reordering. So how? Well, the Hebrew Bible, you know, Ezra does not include any of the words of the prophets. He, he doesn't really tell us what it was about what they had to say that was meaningful. But we do have the words of Haggai and Zechariah themselves um, because their prophetic work, books were included also in this Hebrew Bible, right? And so if we look at Haggai, if we read Zechariah, we can see the images, the thoughts, the words that they were communicating to Zerubbabel, to the high priest Joshua, to the other people who were living amongst them. Um, and, and imagine why that might have been helpful to hear. So I'm just going to show you a couple little glimpses of what those words were. Okay, first from Haggai. This is Haggai 2, starting with verse 2. Speak now to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and say, who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Is it not in your sight as nothing, right? This feels kind of like similar to what we were hearing about last week, right? Some of the oldest of the returned exiles, you know, remembering the former glory of the temple and recognizing how, you know, how humble what, what they had now was. And perhaps that was some of the discouragement that they were feeling as they weren't able to move forward, just knowing kind of how far they had come and, and wondering if they really could ever restore it to what it had been. And yet here, God is saying, yet now take courage, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord. Take courage, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Take courage, all you people of the land, says the Lord. Work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts, according to the promise that I made you when you came out of Egypt. Like moving all the way back to that previous story, right, of liberation. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you to this promised land. I can also help you rebuild. We can do this right? My spirit abides among you, the prophecy said. Do not fear, for thus says the Lord of hosts, once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. And this word, you can see how it's giving the leaders and the people a vision of what could be and how perhaps God might be with them despite the challenging circumstances that are on the ground, right? What Haggai was prophesying about the treasures of the nations actually does come to pass, right? The emperor of Persia, which is like the biggest empire at the time, ends up funding the renovations, right? That is the treasures of the nations flowing their way, right? It's as if the political landscape shifting, um, that's real, but the people are able to enter into that and take advantage of it because they're having this kind of divine revelation, right? In a way that they might not have ever been able to if those things hadn't been working together. All right, let's take a quick look as well at what Zechariah had to say, because if you read the work of Zechariah, it's even more 
vital envisioning. Like Haggai's pretty short. It's just a few chapters. Zechariah's is a longer book. And, um, and it really, the part of it that deals with the rebuilding is a series of eight visions, okay? Eight big pictures. They're very symbolic in their imagery one picture after another that stirs up Zerubbabel and Joshua and the people to envision a way forward. And we don't have time to look at all eight, but I'm just going to show you one of them, okay? And so this comes from Zechariah 4, starting with verse 1. The angel who talked with me came again. So he's having all these images where he's seeing an angel and who's showing him these various things. Um, and he wakened me as one who is wakened from sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see a lampstand all of gold with a bowl on the top of it. And there were seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. So if you can imagine, this is like basically like a menorah. It's got seven, um, seven lamps, seven candles. Okay. And by it, um, there are two olive trees, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. And he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring out the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundations of this house, and his hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and she'll see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven, these seven lamps are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. And then I said to him, who are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I said to him, what are these two branches of the olive trees, which pour out the oil through the two golden pipes? Okay, so the imagery is that this lampstand, the oil is coming from the olive trees that are connected to it and pouring into this lampstand. He said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. And at this point he's talking, the anointed ones are these two leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest. So, okay, like I said, super symbolic, can be hard to, for us to understand, can feel very removed, okay, from us. But basically, essentially, what this message is, is again, God calling the people to look beyond their present state, to not, as he says, despise the small beginnings that they have experienced, to remember that's not the full picture. And ultimately, um, this vision of this lampstand fed by these olive trees is a picture of this, the two leaders, the leadership in Jerusalem sustaining something that's gonna bring light to the whole world, to everyone around them, right? The olive trees symbolize these two leaders, the high priest and the governor, 
who by their success in rebuilding the temple will cause everyone around them to recognize God's presence with them, right? That the oil supplies the lamps to be a light to the whole world. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, God says, says the Lord of hosts. So Zechariah is filled with eight visions like this that are spoken to the leaders in, in Judah to encourage them to endure, to rebuild, picture after picture, communicates this divine presence with them in the work and gives them a view beyond what they were encountering at present. It gives them sacred vision. Remember last week I talked to us about sacred really being that which connects us with a bigger reality, that which connects us with the divine, right? They needed these words, these pictures, these symbols spoken to them to have some vision beyond the difficulties of the logistics, right? Or the difficulties of the roadblocks. They needed to know that they were a part of a bigger story and that they were connected to a bigger source of power to move things forward. I think back again to that grove image I shared that did the same thing in many ways for Haven at that time. It was an important encouragement in our season of discouragement when it could have felt easy to despise the season of small beginnings. I think this is an important part for all of us in moving from disorder to reorder. It's easy to get stuck, I think, in the season of disorder, to get frustrated, to not be able to see something grander. We, can, we need, at times, places of intervention, revelation, the muse, <laughs> sacred vision, right? It's really powerful. So at this point, um, I've kind of laid the groundwork for, you know, kind of where we are at in the biblical story. But I want to invite Ginny to help us reflect around what this can look like in practical terms in a community. Because like I said, Ginny's had a lot of experience with this. So I've asked her to just come and share some of her own stories. And then, and then she's going to lead us in a time where we get to practice some of this together. Okay, so Ginny, take it away. Hi, everybody. <laughs> thanks so much for letting me share my experience. Um, thanks, Leah, for calling this gift out in me. Uh, I think you're probably right, but it's nothing, nothing I've done. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, for those of you that maybe don't know me as well, um, prior to coming to Haven, I worked with um, a ministry that um, was highly involved with college students and sort of a college ministry setting. Um, and so the, the first story I have is um, at, the, at the college I was at, I was at, at Mills College, which is a women's college in Oakland. Um, and the general climate when I was first there was very um, anti, Christian in a sense, like pretty extremely, where there were a lot of rules about where we could or could not meet, um, what we could or could not do in certain spaces. Um, and so in that we, um, it was pretty rough to be Christian on campus, let alone try and like organize a Bible study or some sort of gathering. Um, so we, 
we were trying to organize a little bit and gather a group together. And there was a lot of resistance around being able to do to do anything in the dorms, like the residential life staff were pretty against us organizing. So we had been praying about that for a while and we were praying and had this image of essentially it was like a a piecework of art like a like a mosaic maybe um and there were these different pieces and we had this sense that there was some sort of activity we were supposed to do or something like it was just like okay there are these pieces coming together and everybody's contributing something and so that's what that's what the vision was and then we had an invitation like one of the residential life staff had something come up and they couldn't lead a, a meeting that they were supposed to lead and they were like oh my gosh we need you to lead a meeting so so we were like oh we'll just like maybe that vision had something to do with this opportunity so we led a art like a spirituality and art session where we had people you know have squares of paper and they, they did their own little art expression and then we put them together and and it was like an exercise for the for the RAs and and it was so powerful for the students that the residential life like let up like they were like all right I guess you can organize you guys seem pretty cool we're good with you now like that one meeting sort of released all of this tension and suspicion and so that really was the beginning of what I would call like a political change, like a climate change, like we saw in the um, in the scriptures we read this morning, where like two years later, basically all of the RAs were in our group of like uh, our ministry group, and they were so influential on that like year's students that they were in like the view book, like the colleges like look at our awesome leader you know people with all their pictures and these are the residential life and uh it, it was a pretty big deal they were like well there you go so it was clearly um that vision of the art pieces coming together moved forward the the ability of our group to gather and sort of establish on, on campus so that was a pretty cool story um and i think that was sort of more of the traditional like image of something coming through, but I don't think that that always is the case. I think that sometimes a sense of the Holy Spirit sort of moving a vision along can be other senses or, or other things happening. So my other story is um, I was involved in a different church before Haven um, and they had this really great general like vision or goal of of people who didn't belong together gathered around Jesus for the sake of those who don't belong, which was great. And it was sort of this socioeconomic inclusion in Oakland of the hills and the flats and um, sort of racial diversity inclusion piece, which was great. Um, but that summer, so we were, so I was helping sort of get this community started too. And that summer there was a lot of um, police brutality and like violence against folks of color that was really deeply disturbing. Um, and I was getting really upset about it. And uh, it was clear in the church community that people were having difficulties sort of relating across race. There was this big vision, but it wasn't really panning out like we were hoping it would. 
um, because people couldn't sort of interact with each other across racial lines very well. And so it was, it was bothering me. And I was like feeling kind of like fired up inside, <laughs> you know, like, like you get when you're upset about something and you feel like you want to see a change. Um, and I, so I started talking with a few other people in the community, um, one Asian American woman and one African American woman, um, Liz and Rihanna, and we, they both were feeling the same way. So we're like, all right, maybe there's something in this. Maybe we should do something about this. Let's, let's start something. So we started a racial justice group at the church and really encouraged people to sort of discover their own story and relate across racial lines and really hash out the, you know, the sort of tension there and sort of get engaged in the community as best as you can. And it was a really transformative thing for the group of people that we had at first. So we did it a couple of times in a row and did sort of like 101, 201, 301 levels of engagement. And uh, what I'll say is that like that, that moment of sort of me and these two other women feeling fired up sort of launched the two other women into ministry. They weren't in ministry before but after having this experience with us, the three of us, one of them went to seminary and got a degree at Pacific Seminary, the other one, and is still sort of in local ministry. And the other one moved out of the Bay Area, but started this online, uh, Liz started this online Asian American like community, Christian progressive community that's pretty big now. It's got like thousands of people in it. So, so I see that as like, it not only moved the vision of the church forward, but the other two people that were feeling kind of fired up in their gut, like I was, like it launched them into a new season of their sort of profession vision. I don't know, like, you know what I mean? So that I think that not only how you receive vision for yourself and for your community, but it's often intertwined and it's not always a picture. It can be a sense or it can be, um, uh, like a, uh, a a physical sense or it could be like a prophetic act um, it could be uh, something seemingly random like a number like it really doesn't have to be all of the same thing um, uh, so it's it's just it's really interesting to try and do this in community. It takes a little bravery. Like you have to be able to listen and then sort of share what, what you hear or what you feel or sense, even if it feels totally crazy and like random. Um, so that's, I think that's what we're, what we're moving towards right now is to try this together. And, you know, I, I, my belief isn't a hundred percent the same as it was before when I was in ministry at Mills or even in this, other church it's definitely changed but my like the big question that sits with me still is like what if there is another way of knowing that we in like western culture don't don't appreciate so i you know i i've totally embraced the mystery of god that god is bigger than than my story or than even our story and so it's kind of invigorating to sort of engage in this vision gathering and listening together and sort of community organizing in this way, the spiritual practice. Um, it's really beautiful when sort of these mystical things come together and help us sort of move towards 
towards something <laughs> personal healing communal healing you know communal ministry something like that so um right now we're going to do a little listening together so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes to um to listen and sort of settle our minds and our hearts i'll pray for us to start and then we'll wait to see what we hear again it could be a it could be a passage of scripture that pops up in your head. It could be a song. It could be a image. It could be a physical sense in your body. Um, all of these things are totally valid, but let's listen for the divine for a bit. And then we'll all share out together if there are things that we heard or saw. If there isn't, that's okay. And then we'll listen again if it's a little bit confusing or things don't totally make sense. And then we'll share out again real quick to see if there's anything that sort of clears it, clears it up um so sounds good can i can i just interject a couple things yeah sure thank you so much for sharing your stories they're inspirational <laughs> i hope that i hope that other folks felt some of that and i just want to acknowledge like this is kind of stuff that there are some of us who have done a lot of this um especially those of us who maybe have come from um, a more quote unquote charismatic background, perhaps, you know, like myself, I was in a vineyard church, um, Haven, you know, kind of emerged as part of a group that, you know, was part of the vineyard um, and then not, but, um, and so some of us share that history and, and have some experience with this kind of thing. And some of us definitely don't and might feel really weird about what is all of this. And like, we just want to name, like, that's fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> And we're not we're not trying to you know kind of we're inviting you to potentially lean into a little bit of discomfort with the hope of potentially experiencing something new but we're also not um trying to you know push anything on anyone that doesn't feel good so please be self-aware about that and and take it at, at whatever pace seems right for you mm -hmm. um but i will just name a couple of things too real quick um one piece that you know I'm all about right now in this my own personal journey of and maybe this is my reordering is is trying to celebrate that from from even even similarly to Ginny being in a place like I don't know that I believe everything that I used to when I did a lot of this and and I don't think all of it was great but I think there were some good parts and I'm trying to claim those and um and to try to hold on to what wherever those those um, have relevance and not throw all the baby out with the bathwater, right? But to bring the best from order into whatever my reordering is. And one of those in the vineyard, um, a line that people said all the time, um, that's kind of part of the vineyard heritage is this, this line, everybody gets to play. Um, and to me, that means all of us can hear from God. All of us um, have a spiritual voice. All of us have sensitivity to the divine. Um, everybody gets to play. You know, in um, in the the narrative we were looking at, it was a bit about certain voices being elevated, right? Haggai and Zechariah are the prophets, and Zerubbabel is the leader, and jo you know Joshua is the priest, and and that's true too in some sense. Like we recognize that we have different gifts to bring, and some of it might be leadership. But honestly, Zerubbabel and you know and Joshua and Haggai and Zechariah, like the four of them, couldn't have rebuilt the temple, right? They only the project only happened because all of the people kind of recognize that they had a role to play, 
right? And and ultimately, I think that the, the story, the biblical, the whole biblical narrative um, tells is moving from just one voice or two voices or three voices to, you know, the kind of the picture of Pentecost and all, everybody prophesying, right? Everybody can hear, everybody gets to play. So when we are doing this, some of it is, is giving a chance to see, you know, you're like, I'm not even sure I believe any of this is real, fair. Um, but if you feel like you have something you might wanna share, you know, consider potentially putting it out there. And who knows, who knows? Um, the other thing I'll let you know is that we do have a vision team for Haven. Um, we're actually getting ready to do our quarterly meeting tonight. Um, and the vision team, you know, Ginny's one of the people on it is, is you know, intended to be kind of a place where this, this work is, you know, where, where we're leaning into this with some people who, um, who have some gifting around it and some real commitment to Haven and, and trying to discern, use those gifts to discern. But again, everybody gets to play. So I'm hoping that potentially anything that comes out here, whether you're part of the vision team or not, um, is, is stuff that we're gonna be discerning through when we gather later. Um, and so who knows, but that um, you know, anything that you might feel led to, um, to share could make an impact as we kind of figure out what comes next for Haven. Okay, those are my, those are my pieces. Oh, one more. I'm not, um, we are recording the whole gathering, but I will not include any of this in the video. So don't feel free, don't feel limited by that. Okay, this is private for our community, um, whoever's gathered here right now. The YouTube will just kind of end at the end of Ginny's speech and move in, move on. Okay.